You know, if you weren't on the front row, you probably didn't see the, uh, the tears in his eyes, too, of the, the times of praise and just singing. What other God would leave his throne? I and mean, what amazing thought. And that's our story. That is our story to tell. Um, the process of sharing that story is, as we talked about last week, evangelism. But we went one step further, and we said that, you remember what the word says on the back side? Good news, that it's really the process of sharing and telling the good news of what Jesus has done for us. We just sang that, amazing grace, amazing grace. And it has been so much fun to hear stories this week that, uh, that you guys are getting it. Um, people would be uh, emailing me or texting me some of the stories, some of the incidents that you had to share your faith. Uh, I've seen it on some of your Facebook pages, or some people have communicated that to me, that you've been putting it out on that. Um, uh, personally seen and having you introduce people to me, even as they were coming here today. Wonderful to see. In fact, as one of our senior saints said in the first service, he says, Pastor, we're getting it. You're just not spitting to the wind. So... Uh, I think I take that as a compliment that, uh, that they're getting it, right? That's good to hear. And so today, if you are here for the first time, welcome. You are here be someone, because someone cares about you, because someone invited you. They wanted you to hear the greatest story ever, ever told. Today, I will get to share a little bit about that story, but I wanted to remind you, or if you're here for the first time, to let you know that this Sunday and next Sunday are a little bit different in that we are kind of uh, huddling up here around First Baptist. If, if you've ever wondered what goes on in, uh, on a football field when the players huddle up and, and tell a huddle and tell the play to one another, that's a little bit of what we are doing here because we're talking about sharing the good news and how we go about sharing that good news, how we make that happen, how we share the hope that we have. And so more so than sharing about or sharing the message of that hope, today and next week we're sharing about that, about how we do that. But I do want to let you know, remind you, as Pastor Scott even did, that um, in two weeks we're going to be at Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, as some of us know it as well. And uh, that is the time that we're really going to let that story out and just full go of talking about the gospel and why we believe what we, what we do, the greatest uh, day in our Christian faith, the calendar day um, that we share and celebrate, um, and not only encouraging people to come that day, but to come back again and again, because we're going to start a new series talking about uh, what if this is true, and if it is true, shouldn't it make a difference? Shouldn't it mean that you live life differently? And so uh, you have those invitations in your bulletin. Scott just showed you those. Uh, hope that you would use those. I want to tell you you as well, because you may see this around town, but there's a billboard that is going to be put up as well that um, is showing some of the same thing from that car that you have that reminds us that the services are, are at 8, 9, 30, and 11, 15, good call. We also have a Christian school here. Uh, so for the next about six, six and a half months, that billboard is going to travel to different locations throughout Stockton. I hope it will just give you an opportunity to talk about it and to share about what God is doing at our church and maybe to invite somebody to come. Um, but today we're going over that um, evangelism. How do we share the good news? And so uh, as you've come in here, this is kind of the holy huddle. We're going to talk about that. Take out your Bible or your playbook if you want to go by that analogy today. And um, 1 Peter chapter 3 
is where we get this encouragement from Peter to take those steps of sharing our faith. Now, as you're finding that, 1 Peter chapter 3, let me share with you what's going on in the context of why Peter is writing what he's writing. Um, he's addressing first century Christ followers who are suffering for their faith. They're being persecuted by the culture and by the government for the faith that they have now in following Jesus Christ. And um, as they are doing that, Peter is saying, don't give up. Don't give up your faith. Continue to do good. Continue to bless people even though they may persecute you. So we pick this up in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. It says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. And again, he's addressing those who persecute you, the government who was doing it at that time, other people who were were persecuting them. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And then he says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asked you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if, you should be God, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. All right, so let's boil this down. It's a letter written to the first century Christians 2,000 years ago. How does it apply to us today in the 21st century? Well, if you have your outline, please take that out. You'll notice that it's a little bigger today. Just stay on the front page, and I'll guide you through the other parts of the outline. But you can see here it says, Hope you can share, and I hope that you do share. And here's what Peter would be saying. Three keys to sharing my hope. Out of 1 Peter 3, 15a, let me just read that verse again. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In other words, what he is saying is, in order to share your faith, begin at the beginning. Begin at the beginning. Meaning, make sure the Lord is the Lord of your life. Make sure you share out of a love for him, not some guilt, not some, you know, um, condemnation that someone says you have to do this. And so this is the way you know, not so that you please Pastor Brad, because he's saying, hey, this is one of our 10 values and we have to be able to share this. But because of your love for the Lord and that love that spills over to other people. See, here's what I believe, especially today in 2014. People know when you're befriending them just so you can treat them as a project, right? That's not what we want. We want people to know the hope that's inside of us because it's our hope, because we set Christ as above all else, because we live differently, and because we love them. So you don't share because it's something that you have to do. It's something because God calls us to do it and because we do it out of love. Peter is saying here, share for the right reason. 
Share because Christ is number one in your life and you treat him as such. We've all seen the bad examples of it where it feels like, you know, someone maybe came and they presented the gospel or they just didn't even care what someone else said. It was like they were pulling out their six shooters and poop, 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 and just, just laying it on them. And, you know, there's another notch on my belt. I just said what I needed to say. And they just, yeah, but the person you said it to is just like staggering because it was not done in a sense of love. Or, you know, maybe there's these little kind of different ways that we do it, kind of sometimes maybe a little bit strange. Maybe you're looking for a seat in a movie theater, and you come and you ask somebody, hey, is this seat saved? And they look back at you and say, "Uh, no, are you saved? You know, right? Right? And then they start talking to you about all this, and, you know, the movie's going, and they're still talking, and, you know, you're just like, stop. You know, you can't wait to get out of there. There, There's places and times to share your faith. There's places and times to bring up those kinds of things. And then there's some not, right? But what Peter is saying here is make sure Christ is Lord of your life first. Set him apart as holy in your life. In fact, uh, a number of years ago, there was a friend um, here from the church who had been coming around for a number of years. And he was a Christian. He was a Christ follower, but he was starting to date a gal who was not a Christian. And um, there was a little bit of missionary dating going on. He was trying to kind of bring her into the church. And um, he sat down and talked to me. In fact, he came to my office. He said, okay, I just need to know a few things. I've been coming around here for a while. I appreciate what you're doing ho- over in Crosswalk. And I want to come. And I think she would be able and willing to come. But let's talk about a small group because that's the next step for her to get into. If I brought her to your home, would she be okay? Would she fit in? Are you going to make her read? Are you going to put her on the spot? You know, just wanting to know all these things. And I so appreciated his heart in asking me this. Because, because we want to make this a place where people feel comfortable and can easily continue to investigate their faith if they don't have a faith. The part I got hung up on, however, was after a few um, times of talking with him specifically about this, he told me that he and his girlfriend were uh, sleeping together. And I said, now, help me with this, because you're a Christ follower and you know what the Scripture says. And if she starts to come around here, she's going to know what the scripture says. And I have a feeling that she already knows what God says and thinks about that, that it's supposed to be just within the confines of marriage. And so I said, do you see the problem going on here? You're bringing her to church. You're wanting to share your faith with her, but you're killing it with your witness. Your witness is dying because of the blatant sin and disregard for your love for God and setting him off as holy. There, there, was a, there was a dissonance going on there that was, that was strange. Now, now I, I, so I was able to talk with him and share with him about that. And I know none of us are perfect, but gosh, if we have some blatant sinful lifestyle, that is going to repel people from the gospel that we should share. That, that's going to push them the other way, especially if we're, you know, espousing this and wanting to get it in front of them, but then we're kind of acting like, but I can do whatever I want and I can live however I want. They're going to see through that. The hypocrisy will be rich in a negative way. And so I just want to kind of remind you of this and put this before you that Peter is saying, begin at the beginning. Make sure Christ is set apart as Lord in your life and your hope is shared for the right reasons out of a love for God and a love for people. Now, none of us are perfect. Don't wait till you're perfect till you can share. All right, you'll never get there. None of us are perfect. But to say, God, I want to continue to strive after you. I want to continue to strive after your son and be more like him. 
that's going to that's gonna draw people to God. And sometimes even when you sin and when you fail, you'll be able to say, I apologize, I'm sorry, I was wrong. That lets people say, wow, these people are real. They even admit that, and, and, and they don't always get it right. They're not perfect. Remember the old bumper sticker? Christians aren't perfect. They're just what? Forgiven. We're forgiven. But we need to acknowledge that and put that out there and say, okay, God, I'm going to begin at the beginning. You're Lord of my life. That's what I want to share first. Secondly, Peter goes on to say, in the second part of verse 15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, what he's saying, the fill in there, is be prepared to answer. Be prepared to answer the questions that they might bring up. The word for reason comes from a Greek word which means an intelligent statement of your position. That's what Peter is looking for here. An intelligent statement of your position. And when someone argues with you, for you to say, "Uh uh-uh, is not a real intelligent statement of your position. All right? It's also not real intelligent just to say, well, I I, I grew up as a Christian, and and I was in a Christian home, and so that's why I'm a Christian. Or, well, my mom and dad, they believe, or my grandmother believed, and so that's why I believed. Or just because it feels good to say, well, it just feels good. There's a lot of things that make us feel good. Self-medicating makes us feel good. That's not truth. Uh, uh, So we have to have a reason. You have to have some sort of intelligent response So let me help you with some of that. On the back of your outline are a number of resources. Don't get overwhelmed by them. Just grab one or two if you have a chance to. But let me just go over them with you. Resources for sharing your hope. I just labeled some books for scientific objections. If you encounter someone and maybe you're a little bit more mindful that way, those can be some really good things. In fact, Ken Ham, the second one underneath that, has spoken here at our church before. Um, Wrote a book, a little tiny book, Answers to the Big Four. Maybe it's some philosophical objections that you might have. Uh, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, might be a great book to read with someone and to process and talk with them about that. In fact, he's probably very appealing to many people because they're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia and the writings that he has come up with. Um, There's answers to frequently asked questions about Christianity. Um, Interesting one underneath that is the second one down, which is by Gregory and Edward Boyd, Letters from a Skeptic. That is a father writing to his son and exchanging actual letters that they did over the course of two or three years, um, answering a lot of Christian uh, or questions that the father had, and the son was able to lead his father to Christ. And so it's laid out in a real easy kind of letter format style. Personal testimonies, uh, Lee Strobel, uh, The Case for Christ. We're actually going to have a class on Easter Sunday or the, the weeks following Easter Sunday going over Lee Strobel's um, book and video series, The Case for Christ. Pastor Mike's going to take us through that. So a um, number of good, good resources on there. But let me highlight one in particular. It actually is the book, uh, third one down under Philosophical Objections. Don Richardson wrote a book, Eternity in Their Hearts. Let me describe this because oftentimes if you really want to dialogue with someone where a question comes down to is what about those people in the deep dark jungles of Africa or South America or people who don't have any chance of hearing the gospel? What about some of those people? 
Do, do they go to hell just because they didn't hear the name of Jesus? Like in America, we have so many times that we hear the name of Jesus in church and television and radio. But what about those people in the jungles of Africa who don't get to hear the name Jesus? Well, let me, let me highlight this book and what it talks about. And let me do that in sharing the verse that I think addresses this, first of all, from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Look what it says. It says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. So even though maybe somebody has not heard the name Jesus as we would say it, Scripture says what is known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. And he says have been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So even in nature, we see God revealing himself. And because of that, it says, so they are without, what's the word there? They are without excuse. So everybody at the end of their life will stand before God and have to give an answer of what they did with Jesus. And scripture is pointing to here out of Romans chapter 1, That God has revealed himself to everyone. Everybody has an opportunity to accept Christ or not. Now, let me show you how this has happened in very interesting ways. And I would hope that if, as I share this information with you in just a second, that if you will take it and use it not as a monologue in sharing your faith, but as a dialogue with people, it can help them come into more realization of what God has done and how he has revealed himself. In the book, Eternity in Their Hearts by Don Richardson, he looks at 50-some-odd cultures and how God has found, is found in those cultures. In fact, the subtitle to the book is Startling Evidence of Belief in the One True God in Hundreds of Cultures Throughout the World. These are all documented cases where, and let me just share one, about an Mbaka tribe in the land of Africa. This tribe, he said, um, are people who believed at one time in the one true God, but they lost their belief because of their wickedness. He says, as early anthropologists visit the Mbaka people, they, they found out how they used to share this story. He said, around the campfire, as the sun would go down and the sparks would begin to fly, the storyteller would tell stories about the one true God named Koro. Now let me read the quote to you. It says, Koro the creator sent to our forefathers long ages ago that he has already sent his son into the world to come with something wonderful for all of mankind. But later our forefathers turned away from the truth about God's Son, and since that time they have all longed to discover God's truth about His Son. You get what that's saying? That even in tribes today where we would say they don't know the name Jesus, that this story has been a part of their culture, it has been a part of their history. But over the hundreds and even thousands of years, that story has gone by the wayside. But as the early people of the Mbaka tribe would tell the story, they have it in their history. It's there about God's son. Let me share with you another one. In uh, India, there is um, ancient writings called Rig Vedas and Upanishads. 
uh, there's been a book that's put together called Christ in the Ancient Writings or the Ancient Vedas. And the author became a Christian after looking into the most ancient of Hindu writings and finding that the ancient Hindu writings contradicted the present Hindu religion and beliefs. He says, unlike later Hinduism, which today would be more along the lines of reincarnation and a multitude of gods, he says the earliest writings, the earliest of writings, told of the one supreme God, Lord of all creation, who became, get this now, who became sinless man, who was fully man and fully God. Does that sound a little bit like our gospel that we have? Absolutely it does. Let me read you some of the quotes. It says, God limited, this is in their ancient writings, God limited himself to just ten fingers when he became the son of man. It goes on. It says, I think it goes on because they're going to push the button. When it says that he died the death on a sacrificial pole. What do we know that sacrificial pole as today? Cross. We know that as a cross. Sacrificed but resurrected by the power of God's word. Here's another part of the writing where it says, the one and only way to immortality is to know this sinless God man. Who do we know that as? Jesus sacrifice for the sins of the world. There is no other way to enter into immortality. Now that is vastly, vastly different than you will hear in Hindu writings today. But this measures up with our gospel. That tells me that this story has been a part of their culture, but it's been buried and buried and buried and buried until something new has come out. Hinduism, that's very works-related system, used to be filled with these words of grace. In fact, it's kind of thought that, uh, um, that there was not even one word of re- reincarnation back in the earliest writings, and it's thought that that was because the, um, it was put in later to control the masses, that what they do, they'll be reincarnated, either work their way up or work their way down, so be good in this life so that you're better for the next life. Again, those messages push far and far and far away, which, by the way, a little aside, uh, I, I shudder to think at um, what our country will be like if we push the gospel message farther and farther and farther and farther away. I mean, just a couple decades from now, maybe two, three hundred years from now, our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-great-great-grandchildren, will they ever have to have some writings and come and say, wow, there was something written in this word called the Bible that we so readily take today as truth, a lot of us here in God's culture. Those questions get asked, though, and, and, and you can see these other cultures in this book called in, in Asia and Pacific Islands. They have these similar recordings of God's grace coming to them, um, God revealing himself as a man. How do we know that they were, they were given to him, or how do we know that they got this message? We don't know how they got this message, per se, unless you look at Romans chapter 1, 19 and 20. And when you look at those verses, you can understand God has clearly revealed it to them in Scripture. Now, there's actually, there's the verse there. There's actually, if you want to study on this, um, in the book of Genesis chapter 14, we see what's called the Melchizedek factor. And that is the Jewish people meet a Canaanite who comes 
who should not know their God, but does. And so we can see even in Scripture that God has revealed himself um, uh, to Melchizedek, who was worshiping the one true God. How do we know that he knew him? Well, he said he did, but he wasn't a Jew. I think it's because of this verse, that God has planted these words in people's hearts. He has planted the beliefs in their hearts. He has planted it into the cultures, but our culture has pushed it further and further and further and further away. God's mercy, God's grace, God's justice, his son has been revealed to all people, but their thinking has become futile. Now, that will go somewhere when you're able to talk about your faith. Because as people bring up this thought, well, what about this, and what about this, and what about this, what about people who believe differently from you? I think we can kind of draw them in to go back and say, you know, if you want to look at the earliest of historical writings, God had revealed himself, even in some of these cultures that now are far, far, far away, or maybe you think Jesus has never revealed himself to. Makes for an interesting dialogue. Again, dialogue, not monologue, not telling them, not just cramming it down their throats, but dialoguing with them to hear their concerns and their thoughts. And so going back just to these points again, Paul would say, or excuse me, Peter would say, begin at the beginning, be prepared to answer, just as we talked about right now, to give an answer for the hope that you have. Let me give you the last point. The last key is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, 15, leads over into 16, where it says, Yet do all of this, or do it, with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Here's a great concept. Be the good news before you share the good news. Be that good news first. Live that out. I, I don't think I've ever met anybody who has argued into a relationship with Jesus. When people are watching, though, your life, and when you share your faith, they, they want to see that your life measures up with that. More than the answer that you give them, or more than a pat answer that you might give them, they want to see it in your life. Now, there are times when we may argue, and, and that may lend to some other things. A number of years ago, I was in my living room with my little brother, and uh, I think it was a Saturday afternoon. Well, I remember it was a Saturday. It was around 11 o'clock um, because there was a knock at our door, and many of you, I think, know what happens when a certain religious group goes out on Saturdays at 11 o'clock and knock at people's door, right? And um, I was a pastor at the time, and I did a very unpastoral thing. I looked at my little brother, and I said, get down and don't move. I did. I did. And yet I feel guilty after doing that for a couple minutes and down on the floor and the person actually stopped knocking and went away. And I thought, you know what? If they're in my neighborhood and they're trying to share their faith, I better go out and see what I can do to stop that. And so I I went out and I went down the driveway because they'd already kind of made it out the driveway and they were already at another neighbor's house. And I waited till they came down and I said, hey, um, you know, I'd just like to kind of walk around with you guys because if you're going to be in my neighborhood sharing your faith, I'd like to share mine as well. So can I walk to all these houses with you? You mind if I do that? Um, Yeah, they did mind if if I did that. (laughs) And so I said, well, 
you know what, let's, let's then talk a little bit about what your beliefs are. And uh, so we actually um, uh, were engaging in such dialogue that we came up into my house and um, we sat there and we talked for a couple hours and they had their answers to things and I had my answers to things and we were going over passages and they wanted to pull out their other book, not their, like their scripture book, but he had another book that he wanted. I said, no, 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 don't pull that out. You just show me what you believe in scripture. And we were going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We did everything except pull out our swords and like sword fight one another like that, which might have been a little bit more productive than what was going on there. And I thought about that. I thought, you know what? Would this have been more profitable if we would have just sat down and got to know each other a little bit better? If I would have seen into his life and say, okay, you know what, is it measured up in your life? I I never let the guy know I was a pastor. He still doesn't know today I was a pastor. He came back with his archbishop another day, and I never told them either that I was a pastor. We just talked and we just dialogued. But wouldn't it have been better maybe if even we'd have sat down and just discussed something over a barbecue? Just talk. Now, there are times when we argue the faith. But there are also other times when maybe we build a relationship with people. And um, here's another saying. Sometimes the best strategy may be to love them until they ask you why. And for people that you live with or people that you are coming to contact with or in your neighborhoods or in your workplaces, love them, love them, love them until they ask you, why are you loving me so much? Why do you care? In fact, what I want to do right now is I want to look through the styles of evangelism. And so if you have your bulletin, open up to the inside. This, was, this came from a book, Contagious Christianity, which is listed on the back page by Bill Hybels. And it really freed me up into realizing that God has called me to share my faith in a way that is comfortable to me. There's always a nudge that I need because my human nature says stand back and, and don't do things that are maybe a little uncomfortable to you. So there's always a nudge that I need with the Holy Spirit. But I want to encourage you, as I wrote at the top of the page, evangelism, share as you've been shaped. How has God made you? How has he created you? How, how has he given you characteristics in your personality that may allow you to share? And so let me just kind of go through those different styles that are there. Let's look at them one by one. Peter's the first one, person in scripture, that we look at the passage in Acts chapter 2, and we see in that passage that the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and Peter takes his personality, his style, and he steps up in a very bold way, and he presents the gospel at Pentecost, whereas 3,000 people are saved. What is Paul, uh, Peter's personality? What are some of the characteristics? Well, Peter is very bold and brash. Peter's the kind of guy who you would say, ready, fire, aim about. We see him doing this all the time. He is walking around with one foot in his mouth most of the time because that's what's his personality. So Peter's the one, <coughs> excuse me, who's saying, Jesus, you're walking on water. Can I get out of the boat too? Can I come walk with you? And then he does, and he takes his eyes off Jesus. He looks at the wave and whoop, starts to sink, right? Peter's the one who Jesus is being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does Peter do? Pulls out his sword and whoosh, tries to whack off or kill the, the soldiers doing that, cuts off his ear. That's Peter. Peter is just like bold and brash. I'm putting it out there. I'm going to go and I'm going to go full go. We need, though, more Peters in our society. And so if that is you, God bless you. Keep it up. But let me share with you the evangelistic approach that Peter took. His approach was confrontational. He would just put it out there and just say, in fact, if he was in the supermarket grocery store line, he would just be telling the people behind him and in front of him, hey, you know what? I don't want you guys to go to hell, so let me tell you a little bit about why you shouldn't be going to hell. Ready? Boom, there it is. 
if there was a taxi cab driver, right, he would get in the taxi cab, he'd think, I'm paying this guy anyway to drive me to point A to point B. They're going to hear the message. Boom, here it comes. So Peter would just put it out there. And there are Peters in here. God bless you. Keep it up. Do it in a loving way because it's very interesting. The passage we read today is written by Peter. But what does he say? He says, do it with gentleness and respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put it out there, but gentleness and respect. So let me go through the next two columns. How was he used by God? He was a spokesperson at Pentecost. Over 3,000 were saved. How can God use us? We wrote up here on the screen to confront, to challenge, and to encourage. Yes, confront people. Yes, challenge them, but do it in an encouraging way to be able to look into their eyes and say, I care too much about you to see that you go to hell. Let me explain to you about my Jesus. That's Peter. And if you have that kind of a personality, then just amp it up. Do it in gentleness. Do it in respect, but do it. How else do we share our faith? Next person I wrote down there was Paul. Paul, we see, was in Acts chapter 17, where he was very logical and very reasoned. So what kind of uh, an evangelistic approach did he have? You can write down in that box. He was intellectual. Paul was very intellectual. In fact, he laid, how did God use him? He laid the foundations of the Christian faith, as we see them in the book of Romans and many of the New Testament letters. So, so Paul's logical, rational mind have laid much of our foundation for theology that we have today. God used his personality to do that. Now, he wasn't, you know, the confrontative time. And so what he did is he went up to Mars Hill in Athens, and he stood beside a placard or a statue that says, to the unknown God. And Paul says, let me tell you who this unknown God is. And it says there in Acts chapter 17 that he reasoned with the people. He talked to him about this unknown God is the God of heaven who's revealed through his son, Jesus Christ. That was Paul's personality. That's how he did it. So he laid the foundations. Let me tell how God can use us if you are kind of along the Paul lines. And that is present and explain the gospel. To present and explain it. Now, some of you may say, oh, I'm not sure I have that all down. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week, whether it be the four spiritual laws, whether it be the Romans road, but to understand kind of how you walk people through the plan of salvation, Paul would do that in a very effective way, and many of you in here can do that as well. Let me keep moving. The blind man. The blind man in John chapter 9 was healed by Jesus. He comes before the Pharisees and says, I was blind, but now I see. They say, no, you weren't. You weren't blind. You weren't born blind. That's not you. That's someone else. It's not you. The guy said, dude, I don't know how Jesus did this. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. He had to let it out. He had to be truthful. And so we see that his evangelistic approach, you can write in the box there, was testimonial. He's got a testimony now. I was blind but now I see. How did God use him? They revealed the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees. How does God use us if we're like the blind man sharing our testimony? It would be tell them until they ask you how. Tell them your story until they ask you, how do I get that? How do I know this one called Jesus? Now, the blind man is a little different than Dorcas. 
Okay, Dorcas is found in Acts 9. I know that's kind of a, an odd name today. Even in their biblical days, her name was also Tabitha, it says in the scripture. So maybe we'll go more Tabitha, all right? But Dorcas or Tabitha says her personality was always helpful. Not a lot was written about Dorcas or Tabitha, but she was always helpful. So her style of evangelism would be through service. Service. Now note this. She's not serving instead of evangelizing, but she is evangelizing through her serving. Get the point there? Okay. So she would probably be taking meals to people. In fact, Peter had to raise her from the dead because she had died. And I think they needed a meal that night. And so they wanted her back alive to get the weight on them. So she, she's brought back to life. It says how she used by God. This is all kind of says about her in the ESV. She was full of good works and acts of charity. That's what was said about Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. That's how the people knew her. If that's you, if that's your style, how can you be used by God? Love them until they ask you why. Love them until they ask you why. Now, contrast that to the blind man. With the blind man, I said, tell them until they ask you how. With Dorcas, I said, love them until they ask you why. Just keep loving on people, loving on people, loving on people, loving on people. When the Holy Spirit gives you the words, share the words of why you're doing that, why you love on people. All right, let's look two more. Samaritan woman. Samaritan woman is in John chapter 4. Jesus tells her about her life, tells her you're living in sin, you shouldn't be. She says, are you a prophet? Are you the Messiah? She goes back to her town then, and she becomes very inclusive, and she says, you got to come and see this Jesus guy. He told me everything about my life. Townspeople, come and see. And so what would her evangelistic approach be? It would be invitational. Invitational. Come and see what this Jesus says. In fact, the phrase I wanted to use there was how she was used by God. Brought friends to Jesus. She brought her friends to church. She brought her friends to the synagogue. She brought her friends to Jesus and said, you got to see what he's talking about. How would we be like the Samaritan woman in our, our evangelistic approach? It would be to invite, invite, invite. One of the easiest things we can do, and that's why we gave you two of those postcards today. This week, place them on your desk at work, somewhere in your store, or in your store, if you're in a store, or your business, or your desk, or even on your dashboard, or in your glove compartment, but be ready to invite, invite, invite. Now, let me give you the last one. That's Matthew. Matthew was in Luke chapter 5. We see an interesting story. This is, of course, one of the disciples. Matthew, I think, his style was much more relational. He wanted to, to kind of get to know people before he did his sharing. And um, can I just tell you, that your relationship with someone will take them miles beyond what my preaching will do. If you invite someone to come here and I just get to share God's truth, they're looking for it more in your life. They're looking for your credibility. And so your relationship with them speaks way more than even what I am able to speak into their lives. We just partner together on that. And so what would Matthew be doing? His approach would be interpersonal. That is, build a relationship with somebody interpersonal. Get to know them. Bring the closest of friends. And so I want you to look at what it says of how he's used by God. He brought Jesus 
to his friends. Now, this is kind of interesting because the Samaritan woman brought the friends to Jesus, but Matthew brings Jesus to his friends. Matthew throws a big party of his sinners and his tax collector buddies because Matthew was a tax collector and says, Jesus, would you come to my party? Would you come and dialogue with my friends? Very interesting approach. Much different than the other ones that we've seen. And so if we're like that, if we're open to doing that type of thing, how can God use us? The last box over there is turn the impersonal into personal relationships. Turn the impersonal into personal relationships. Now, I've left off one more box that I'm hoping to get to go over a little bit next week. And that is more specific strategies on how each of these people, um, their personalities, but if we're like that, how we can engage people in conversations with these different styles. So again, this freed me up when I think about, you know, I can't be Billy Graham. I can't be Mother Teresa. I can't be so-and-so and so-and-so. How did God shape me? How did he make me? And I hope every one of you is saying that. Which one of these do I perhaps do the most? Now, you can do them different styles. You can do different ones, but there might be one that's a little bit more comfortable to you. Use that. Share how you have been shaped. God shaped you for a purpose and for a reason. But remember what uh, Peter says about this. He says, do it always with gentleness, do it always with respect. And the best way that you can figure out if you're doing that is if you are loving people. Because if you love people and you dialogue with them, the mask can fall and the true Jesus is then seen. And they can see Jesus inside of you and you can point them to what Jesus has done for them. In fact, there's a verse out of Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, that I think would, be, would change our city if we uh, lived a little bit more like this. Matthew 9, 36, it's actually at the bottom of your outline, says this, when he, that is Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without, what does it say there, without a sheep without a, he saw the masses and he realized Wow. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of people in our lives that I'm convinced that we come across every day who would be open for us to share our faith if we would see with the eyes of Jesus, if we would hear with the ears of Jesus. Schindler's List is the uh, 1993 film that was directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, The movie tells the true story of Oskar Schindler, who was a German businessman who saved thousands of Jews during the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. In fact, how many of you remember seeing the movie back in 1993, Schindler's List, or have you seen it since then? Okay, okay, many of you, many of you have seen it. it. It won seven Academy Awards. It's often regarded as one of the greatest films ever made. I want you to watch one of the ending scenes where uh, Oscar Schindler is saying goodbye to all the Jewish people that he saved because now World War II is, is over. They've been freed and liberated. And in the scene we're going to watch here, Oscar is presented with a gold ring that was actually made from some of the fillings in some of the prisoners' teeth um, because they were so thankful for what, they ha- what he had done for them. And so as Oscar puts on this ring, he... Um, He's struck with the realization of how many more people 
he could have saved. Watch as he uh, grapples with that. Nothing's going. All right. Well, let me share you uh, share with you what um, happens in that scene. He is, uh, like I said, struck with this overwhelming feeling of, I could have saved more, I could have saved more, I could have saved more. And he looks at the people who are standing in front of him and behind him. And he realizes that the car that he's driving could have been 10 more people that he would have saved from the Holocaust. He realizes that the gold pin that he has would have been two. No, he says, no, at least one. One more person this would have been. And as he drives away... It's a very interesting scene in the movie. Steven Spielberg made it up. He's driving in a car, looking at the people who are around him. And you see his face, and then you see it kind of turn into the faces of the people that are reflected in the window as a way of saying, I love all of you, I care for you, but I'm in such remorse that I could have done more. You know, I don't want to lay that on us as a guilt trip. I just want to lay that on us as a factor that um, we come into contact with people every day and we walk by people who are dying and going to hell. And the realities of that probably don't strike us hard enough. The Holocaust seems like it was so long ago and so far away and, and, and what a great atrocity that shouldn't have happened. But that same type of thing is happening every day in our lives as well. And my hope and my prayer is that we would be seeing with the eyes of Jesus. We'd be hearing with the ears of Jesus. Let me read the verse again. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If we would see with those eyes that Jesus has, at the heart, the love that we have, the heart, it would make this place, this city, a better place. Make, this church would be a different place. We wouldn't have enough room to have the people who we're wanting to see saved. In fact, the last line of the clip that I was going to show you, maybe we'll show it next week, was the people are gathered there still the next morning. And someone comes on horseback. They don't know what to do. They're freed. The, are, the war is over, but they're just laying on the ground, sleeping. And the next morning, someone comes and says, you have been liberated. And that's the message we have. We have a message that will liberate people from where they're heading. And I just pray this week, God might lay someone upon your heart and you might say, how can I share my faith? And I pray that you might do it in not a way that's uncomfortable to you, but you might do it in a way that says, let me share with you. A way that you know that's very familiar and comfortable with you, how God shaped you. Let me share with you. Because this is about my Jesus. And I want him to be yours as well. Would you pray about that? If you will, God's going to do an amazing work around here.